Book, book. Welcome back to this moment, your transatlantic bridge connecting Stockholm to New York City and Harlem. Hosted by myself, Chef Marcus Samson, and my co-host, Jason Diakate. This moment is about sharing BIPOC stories. And this week, we sit down with the writer, cookbook author, Zoe Ajanyo. She's the mastermind behind Zoe's Ghana's Kitchen, the pop-up shop that served authentic Canadian food. And now she released a book with the same name. The book explores Ghanaian food and culture. After all, African food is not only on the rise, it's delicious, it's not monolithic, and we need to unpack it and learn more about our similarities, our differences, our challenges, but also its beauty. So, link us back to the motherland. Let's jump right into it. Zoe's Ghana's Kitchen. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So I have to ask, Ajonjo, what yeah. tribe is that and sort of like where in Ghana is the parents from? Where, tell me a little bit about the culture. Yeah. So my grandmother um, is Fanti. So she's down mm-hmm. on, she's from Elmina on the coast there. My grandfather, whose name I get Ajonya from, used mm-hmm. to be a chief um, up in the Ashanti region. So Ajonya's, there's not many Ajonya's in the world, you know, actually, and they're from yep. a really small, specific part of Ghana and yeah every now and then I get an email from an Ajonia saying hey cuz nice. <laughs> nice. well yeah. well I, I ask also because you know in Africa obviously it's tribal and I, I think it's tribal all over the world but we have our tribes so the tribes also then essentially obviously got into the culture of language patterns when it comes to f- fabrics music uh, of course but then also food. So mm-hmm. that's kind of why I always want to know, like when someone says to me, I'm from Ghana, I'm from Ethiopia, that's the starting point. But then you want to kind of bring it down to the region. And then eventually, to someone like myself, I try to understand, okay, what did they eat? What is their culture? So tell me about that. What was on the table from grandma and eventually London? Yeah, wow. Oh, my God. So in my grandma's house, I mean, my grandmother's favorite thing to eat and cook is the same thing that I love to eat and cook, which is kind of weird because I didn't reconnect with my grandmother until I was in my 30s. But I grew up eating in Katsenkwan, which is um, the fancy name for groundnut soup, which is you will have heard of ubiquitous across West Africa. Right. So we all have Mm -hmm. a version of it. Um, from Senegal to Ghana and Togo and Nigeria. But 
So I love that dish. Have you ever had that? It's literally yeah, whenever I, I eat that food, man, it makes me feel like I've just jumped right being into like an eight-year-old and getting mm-hmm. wrapped with a big hug of love and food and nourishment. So yeah, you've got those big hearty stews like that. And then you might have something, you know, fried fish, simple tilapia with a yeah. nice little onion, ginger, paposito, little chili um, mm-hmm. marinade, frying hot oil, serve with some nice yam, fluffy chips, you know, or have some nice um, boiled yam with like corned beef stew, mm-hmm. um, chichinga, little suya kebabs, you know, um, spinach and a goose. Suya, suya comes down, it trickles down over to, to, to Ghana as well in that culture. Yeah. Okay, I should, yeah, you're right. Suya actually comes from Nigeria. But we have borrowed it for sure. And we call, so that I'm sure you know this already, Marcus, but like that, the style of cooking is suya, but there's also like a seasoning blend. Suya is a nickname in Ghana and in Nigeria it's yaji. Um, it's basically like a spiced, peanutty, um, potent fire starter blend for barbecuing anything delicious. Um, and yeah, we borrowed that from the Nigerians for sure. But um, I'll tell you one thing the Nigerians don't have, which they love from Ghana, and that is shito. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Have you ever tried some shito? Really beautiful, yeah. very traditional, hot pepper sauce condiment. It goes from like 0 to 100, depending on whose household you're in, in terms of the heat. But it's got this beautiful background of like the smoked crayfish, the smoked prawn, you know, melded with all that chili. It's like, ah, mm, so delicious. So we have, we have all of those kind of things. And of course, on the coast, we have that abundance seafood, right? So we have barracuda, we have the catfish, we have prawn we have shrimp we have squid we have octopus not that that's necessarily eaten every day but it is there whereas you know for example up in the volta region up along lake volta there's a real heavy predominance um, when it comes to fish it's like tilapia and nile perch and catfish and it's like what's available in the lake and then you're going to see a lot more things are being the further north you get the, the more things are being fermented and dried and their lives being extended that said, when you go into Jamestown in the middle of Accra um, and you're watching, you know, the, the, the fishermen bring in their halls and stuff, at the same time, there's this like, what's, it looks, it feels like hundreds and hundreds of smokers are just on the go. As soon as the fish comes in, it's getting smoked straight away. So, yeah, in a 24 hour, I think in 24 hours, like strolling between Kaneshi and Jamestown, you can really see the culture of food in Accra. Um, and of course, in, in Jamestown itself, you're going to see people making that beautiful kenke. You can go to the kenke house and make, you know, kenke is fermented maize, though. It's a bit like tamale. Um, it has that same fermented nature, that beautiful sort of stinkiness on the nose, but that really gorgeous opening up umami fermented flavor in your mouth. Um, also amazing fried fish and shito. Yeah. No, kenke is one of those hidden gems, right? Because if you're in, Ghana, West Africa, kenke is an everyday thing that people mm. know about. But mm. outside that region, people have no language, no context to it, right? And mm. I think it explains so much about our food in Africa. It's so um, clear and incredible once you're there, but very often outside. And what's incredible about this moment through uh, this link, what's happening, very much driven by what's happening in, in, in Accra and Lagos and in other major cities in, in Africa, is that chefs, writers, storytellers have 
left the continent, got experience abroad, but then came back. Yes. And actually through the incredible, through social media, right? The world now finds out through, you know, projects like High on the Hog, uh, et cetera, right? Or what yeah. Michael was doing on Legos with his cooking studio and so on. But all through, through books. And you got a new book in, in the States. That's right, yes. Uh, Zoe's yeah. Ghana Kitchen, yeah. So tell us it's, about what is Zoe's Ghana's Kitchen? What is it? My God, it's um, it's everything. And you know, you just said chefs from the continent leave and go back. You know, that's one of the things that rings in my ears what my grandmother said to me when I was visiting her in Accra a few years back when I was gathering material for this cookbook. And she was like, go and come back. You know, she kept yeah. saying, Come back, come back. Um, and that's what this book is. It's like, it's it's a story of my search for, you know, this whole brand, Zoe's Ghana Kitchen, has very much been this personal search for me to reacquaint myself with Ghanaian culture and history mm. um, and lifestyle because my dad, who's Ghanaian, um, was quite absent in my childhood. So it was through his food and his cooking that I could connect with him and then get this lens into like my ancestry and my roots. So food in my house became very, very important for me for that reason, and Ghanaian food in particular. And so this is the story of me reconnecting with my family in Ghana after many, many years. It's the story of me searching for recipes, me traveling around Ghana, and then me combining that with like who I am and where I am in the world and you know why I love this country, why I love these flavors, why I love these ingredients, and why I want more and more people to understand um, that this food is delicious, this food is healthy, this is the food of your ancestors. Mm -hmm. It kept thousands and thousands of generations fit and strong, and it can still keep us fit and strong, you know. Um, I'm really keen on re reacquainting the diaspora with their cuisine, but also introducing it to a brand new audience who, as you say, like before social media and before this recent glut of other chefs getting cookbooks like this out into the world, there hasn't been much information. There hasn't been many cookbooks by black and African uh, chefs, you know. So I just hope that this keeps continuing to build to the canon of that community um, oh, really? and makes people feel proud and makes people feel curious. And yeah, <laughs> that's what it's yeah, about. No, uh, and it creates a language, right? Like when I think about when I was coming up in food, I always thought about why is it so hard to find any cookbooks about people that look like us? Exactly. And rather than being frustrated about that, it's like that became a goal, right? So Exactly. Because books are so important, not just to tell the story about a restaurant or your journey, but it's also documentation, right? A book's going to be there hopefully a lot, lot longer than we will you know and it gives uh the next generation real real context of what's happening in, in our food in this moment of black food of food right now and yeah. that's, so it's so important for so many different well both for the aspirations but also for context and with very often with black food and black culture we there's a reality that has pushed out never from us rarely from us uh, but about us, right? Mm -hmm. And this is an opportunity to put something that is by us, for us, and for everybody, but it's really written from us. And it's, it's a very different narrative. And, you know, one thing that we share is that, you know, as an adopted person, I didn't grow up with Ethiopian food. And 
but I always wanted to search for it. In my 20s, I really went back to Ethiopia and found my family. And you're constantly searching. I always feel like I felt catch up with Ethiopia cooking. Yeah, yeah. And with your um, journey around um, Ghanaian culture that was there, but not every day maybe, and then being in England and back and forth, how did you find your, not just identity around the food, but also identity as a young person coming up in London and so on? Yes, God, it's a really good question. You know, it was very tricky for me because my mum's Irish, right? My mm. dad's Ghanaian. They were both immigrants to this country. In a yeah. time, I might add, which was still no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. You know, there was a, a lot against my parents when they got here. Um, and they had me and they grew up in this difficult political... Well, I grew up in the politics of who I was, I suppose. Do you know what I mean? Like understanding my parents were different, understanding my class was different understanding that I was different again as a third culture kid with like black skin, but you know, like, so there was a lot going on to negotiate. Um, and it was always food that sort of made me feel moored. You know what I mean? Like um, even on my mum's side, to be honest, because you know, yeah. my Irish grandmother would send like food parcels to us when we were kids and we would all be so excited, you know, like Santa Claus is coming by waiting for that galti cheese and the soda bread and whatnot and then um but my mum would have that same buzz you know and I noticed that and it was like that getting that food was like I'm home and then like with my dad would he bring home the kenke and the shito and the tilapia and the and he had this really private meditative kind of moment with it honestly like I had to kind of really edge myself into that moment you know because he was he was when he was preparing that food and when he was cooking it, he was in another place. He was in Ghana. He was in Accra, you yeah. know. Um, and so it was a lot by osmosis to begin with. And as a kid, you know, again, growing up in the 80s, I was a latchkey kid. So I cooked a lot for myself, I cooked for my sister, and I cooked for my school friends, like the other latchkey yeah. kids, you know. And so food was always this medium of caring and, nudgery, and nourishment. But also, in a way, it was this other other thing I could introduce people to about who I was mm-hmm. and like, but it wasn't in the classroom and it wasn't in the playground. It was like this other yeah. thing happening that was part of who I was, you know, and introducing people to that. Um, about, and letting them about, in, letting them in what, was also the kind of a self-defense, you know, because it's yeah. growing up in Woolwich in that period of history as well. There's a lot of racism around, a lot of racist people, a lot of racist language. It was very common all the time. Um, so you're like batting that off all the time. I know. So food just always was this place that brought me to my center. Um, and it continued to do that. But it was never something that I thought I'm going to have a career in this. You know, the universe very much sort of dragged me with it into this yeah. kind of idea. But um, yeah, cooking and food, bringing people together, especially over food, has always been something that has been very grounding, I think, for me and meditative and joyful. But they're both both Irish and Ghana, if you look at it from a sort of broader, when I think about both, I think about music is core yeah. of both, right? Really great storytelling music from both places. You also yeah. think about um, incredible sort of um, music, food, dances, very specific dances from both cultures, <laughs> right? How, so how was those other things experienced at the house? Like, did, did, did you have, 
West African dance classes? Did you have some Irish kick dance classes? <laughs> what was the music? Was there fella? You know, what, 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 what was the music played at the home? Yeah, that's such a good question because music was a huge part of my childhood. And, you know, so my mum, I had, and my mum and all my Irish family, they're all singers as well, actually. Well, they all wanted to be singers. They're Irish, they always sing wherever yeah. they can sing. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of like that kind of shanty, folky, acoustic vibe, traditional oldie worldy Irish. But then my mom was really into like power ballads and like, you know, 80s rock. And so Kate Bush and Bonnie Tyler and all of that kind of thing, Shaken Stevens. But then my dad had this amazing, like he was deep into his music. He had these amazing subwoofer, massive speakers. Um, and he had like just, I don't know, maybe thousands of different records and CDs. And it would go from like from Motown to um, Fleetwood Mac to Simply Red to like jazz yeah. to Bella to the whole sort of gambit of high life and, you know, just everything. I, I had this really amazing eclectic education in music. And you're right. There's a lot more between Irish and Ghanaian cultures in common than there is that separates them. One is religion, yeah. two is yeah. family, three is dancing, four is music, and five is just like the concentration of family at the core of culture, you know, and that kind of village mentality around family and how um, everybody's involved. <laughs> I would say I would say there's a couple of more, you know. First of all, being both next to huge culture, right? With England being right, you know, obviously very, very global culture in the world, right? And yeah. Nigeria being right next to, so it's that kind of like mm -hmm. underground mentality that you're always root for, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm not from West Africa, but when Ghana is in the World Cup, we root for Ghana, everyone <laughs> roots for Ghana, you just do, you know what I mean? And like, you know, if you have an argument with somebody from England, I never had an argument with someone from Ireland, you know, that's a hug, that's a, you know what I mean, just, that's a warmth. My roommates yeah. in cooking school in Switzerland, they were always Irish, and, you know, they were great guys, and, you know, they went to church on Saturday, because they would go out and get hammered, so that, you know, they would never get up on Sunday morning, and I was like, what? And they, they were just like the best kids, right? So I have great yeah. memories from people from Ghana and Ireland. Yeah. No, yeah, there's just so much. And that was a beautiful thing for me to realize as well. You know, traveling in general is such a beautiful, I love traveling. I always have, like, mm. just exploring. But and traveling in general does this beautiful thing of showing you how similar cultures are. At the same time as highlighting to you how different cultures are, you can also see yeah. where our commonalities are, mm. um, whether it's in the food preparation or the ingredients or whatever. But that trip back gone in 2013 like blew my mind because I was just overwhelmed with the abundance of the and richness of the fresh ingredients available there I mean my dad when I was growing up was always cooking out of tins and stuff you know shortcutting it and doing his best so mm -hmm. I growing up had this kind of imagine in my you know I had just assumed that okay so there mustn't be access to many fresh fresh ingredients right and then I go there and I was just blown away like the taro the spinach and the goosey all of the amazing spices I got to be introduced to for the first time like the grains of salem the grains of paradise cubeb um it, it was just and then all of the seafood and and being able to travel on my own and see it with this really it was one thing like to land there and just to feel immediately connected to home but then to go 
and like really explore on my own and like eat on my own and go and stick my head in people's kitchens and chop bars yeah. and stuff. that was amazing please teach me how you did it it was such an enriching experience and you know I, I really regret waiting so long to reconnect yeah. with Ghana I mean, it all happens for a reason and in the time it's supposed mm-hmm. to and there was a lot of personal reasons that held me back from doing it but you know if I hadn't made that trip back in 2013 and reconnected with my family and my culture and my roots and, you know, built out my repertoire of recipes from, you know, not just from my household, my grandmother's household, but from people in markets, people in chop bars, people everywhere I went, you know, this cookbook wouldn't exist without that. And I think that, Mm -hmm. but I hope that the the cookbook reflects um, my love of that journey and my love of, that experience yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you I wanted to ask you two things one of the things also why I think it's such an incredible importance that these your cookbook comes out and we talk about it and now it goes to America and it's like you know is because there's an incredible take back of our food that needs to be repositioned and I believe it will be repositioned right mm. imagine mm. if you and I would start a champagne company and uh call it we have champagne uh ghanaian champagne we wouldn't be allowed to do that because champagne has to come from champagne right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. everybody takes for granted that's what it is but we could start a belgian chocolate company tomorrow right right and the cocoa (laughs) of course the cocoa is where we know where the cocoa come from so i think your work and several people's work right now is chipping away at really recessing not just the global value system and understanding of you can't just come in and like the worth of the coca bean the craft of creating it right and then how do you process it to chocolate and how do you label it and how do you brand that how do you create value for that right? right and you know when you when you just bring up the subject like champagne people get it right away and right away it's like you can't just create, you know, that. Of course you can't. You know what I mean? I come from Sweden where, you know, Aquavik is a huge argument, whether that's from Denmark, Sweden, and Norway. But outside that, is, of course you can't touch it. It's just an unwritten rule. You can't do it. But yet, if we want to start a chocolate company in Scotland tomorrow, go ahead. Process yeah. Do it, right? So I mean, I what do you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, so there's this other thread that goes through all the things that I do. I mean, I, I touched on it. You know, I am intrinsically political because of my identity. I'm a queer black woman born to, you know, working class immigrants in England, a very white place. So all of those intersections collide and all my cultures collide, right? So politics, therefore, really informs much of what I do. And I always said with Ghana Kitchen, it was about bringing people to the table to over a bigger conversation, the food being the tool that draws them in and then the food and the conversation around the food being the things that expand their mind about the culture and everything else beyond that. Um, So yeah, decolonizing the food industry is this background thread, right? And it's this idea of what is food without this big fat white lens all over it what is cultural appropriation why is it a problem who who needs to understand this well we all do because we've already been through colonialism 
the first few phases, mm. right? Four or five hundred years ago, we've had all of our riches, and not it didn't stop then, right? We still colonialism never ended; it's still happening, really. <laughs> in, oh. that, <laughs> in that act, in in that factory, you know, our culture, especially from the continent of Africa. When you look at music, when you look at fashion, when you look at textiles, when you look at um, now food, there's always been this kind of theft from Africa. You know, this theft of IP, if you like, and mm -hmm. yeah. we can trade yeah. that back, to, you know, to rice trading and everything, even pre-slavery. So I'm concerned now that we have an education around transparent supply chains, making sure that the, the farms and people that I work with for my spice shop, for example, I know they're getting paid properly. I know that everybody in the value chain is doing all their best to be sustainable and um, have commitments to like, you know, in climate change and equal pay. And there's a, a nice ecosystem going on. However, you know, I've spent 12 years basically since I started this, evangelizing about these amazing flavors and ingredients and really naively thinking that somehow I was transporting wealth back to the continent because people would want to buy these ingredients and where else are they going to buy it from but from the Africans you know but that what I've seen in the meantime as is usually happens it's like we're talked about as a trend right which makes us feel or it gives the idea that these foods are momentary like they're hip for a minute and they're not going to stay around um and then that means big corporations come in like Unilever and Monsanto and they're buying up land in Ghana, left, right and centre and buying out local co-ops and buying out local farms. So, you know, I'm very much concerned. All that is to say, I'm concerned that when I'm promoting these ingredients now and I'm talking about this food, that as much as possible, I'm encouraging people to seek out other black businesses to buy those ingredients. And if better still for them to be African owned, you know, and to think about stuff like that and and when you're in like trader joe's or wherever it is some other supermarket and you're seeing jollof you know you're seeing shortcuts for jollof or you're seeing shortcuts for suya it's like whose whose name is on that brand like what's is this a story that's being stolen from somebody else that somebody else gets to profit from usually white capitalism right white supremacy or is, is this um you know a mom and pop brand is this an, a growing emerging african brand it's like it's very, it's too much, obviously, to expect consumers to be on high alert, right, 100% of the time. But I think we can slowly start to ask them to be thinking a bit more considered about what their buying choices and thinking about the supply chain and who's profiting off of the culture and at who else is expected. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. You are doing your part. You are doing the work. You are, you cannot be responsible. It's such a huge kind of conversation. Yes, massive. You also then, for me, I look at food and black food as a relay, right? Where we all have, kind of have to figure out. For me, it comes from the traditional of being a restaurant chef and then building on that, having a platform and always talk about us and bring us into the conversation so we're in the room now will that land perfect at every place probably not right because we're imperfect and people want to slice and dice whatever they want take whatever they want from that yeah i love the fact that we have very different backgrounds in food and different roads to it because it shows that we're of course we're not monolithic why would we be you know what i mean but i i think this is one of the most exciting times in black food that i've ever experienced is because there are plural conversations out there. And if a book like yours or like a book like The Rise, for example, or other books, right, or High on the Hog doesn't go on Netflix, there, it's important to have local, important conversation. And it's also important to have a larger conversation. You come from university background and, you know, very structured background, which is important because it means that you know, when I go and talk about African food at, at Ivy League schools today, we were never there before, right? Mm-hmm. Or when Dr. Jessica Harris talks about it. So I think that this high, low, middle conversation about it is super important. Yeah. Uh, and I do believe that the end result will eventually lead to that farmer you were talking about. It's a long road and it's not a straight anything with blackness, right? We elevate it, we find it, we discover it very often, then we get written out and then we fight our way back in, right? Yeah, Those yeah, are the yeah. different levels of sort of like official colonialism versus hidden colonialism and that's a whole other thing, right? But at least there's more people in the room 
that can now actually ask hard questions and through social media they can have a conversation that does not always happen on a major news traditional newspaper. Now you can have the conversation throughout, right? And you know, your pop-up journey was very important because without that, even if it just fed the people that were in the room that day, right, that night, I know leading up to that, that kitchen had to like shop different things. I know the media you, you attend, you know, drove, created another conversation. So it, it's, it's, we have to be uh, ubiquitous in our dialogue. Even with the changes that are coming and with the evolutions and with the future of modern African cooking, whatever that looks like in each country, it always starts with where, you know, we always have to go back to the beginning. So as long as, for me, what's important is as long as I'm rooted in what was and an mm. understanding of what came before me, um, mm. you know, I love nothing more than extrapolating and playing and reimagining what is Ghanaian food. It's like, it's fun. It's fun to work with those ingredients and make new combinations and, you know, yeah. present ways and even teach Ghana you know I love when you you're teaching Ghanaians about their own cuisine because the, the other thing is for such a long time these recipes these ideas of food weren't documented because we come mm. from an oral tradition and yeah so that's another exciting moment where we get to create a canon you know mm. um, and that's why it's really important as well that there isn't just one person being called an expert in this and an expert in that because yeah we have the geography of these these countries is huge uh, you know there's hundreds of tribes in Ghana all will have different ways of representing their cuisine um, and yeah I'm excited for it honestly I'm just here for it I'm excited for it I'm so happy this book is coming out in the states and yes yeah, I get to and talk to you. So, we are so excited uh, to receive. So tell me two recipes that I have to cook for, from the book. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, just give me two recipes. Like, okay, these Straight are, off the, it's hard. It's not, it's so easy. <laughs> First of all, you have to do groundnut soup. That is yes. the bomb killer. Please do it. And make sure that you've got some nice puna yam, boiled, fluffy, and some really like just overripe plantain. So you get that nice mm. crisp caramelization. The ripeness of the plantain is very important. So that's a really beautiful one pot dish, really simple, nice kind of spiced Ghanaian passata style sauce, lots of deep marrow rich from the bones of lamb or whatever your protein is. And it's just gonna sit melting together for a few hours while you go and sit on the sofa, go for a walk, do your press ups, whatever you wanna do. And then you're going to come back and add this beautiful either ground nuts yourself or peanut butter from a jar. Both are acceptable. And just melt it in and let it sit together for a couple of hours. And you're going to have this beautiful, sweet, spicy, piquant, rich, incredibly delicious smelling thing. And then when you eat it, oh, my God. And with Gary as well. Great. Have it with Gary, yam and plantain. It'll be, I'm sure it will change your life. Then the second one is super quick, super easy. Nice, simple vegan bean stew um, based off a dish called Red Red. So good they named it twice, I like to say. Um, red for the palm oil that comes into it and red for like, the tomato base. And um, yeah, it's black eye beans or cow peens 
basically just really simple saute onions, bit of chili, small bit of curry powder. And then again, that chale sauce, which is like my cheat in the book, because you can literally get away with a compound of sauce for like, I don't know, 50% of the stews and recipes. So you add that nice passata style sauce to it and you just, you know, just let it cook for a, just let the beans cook like gently for an hour or something like that after they should be pre-boiled, obviously. Um, and that is so simple and delicious. It's the kind of thing that every tourist who's been to Ghana will have eaten because it's yeah. ubiquitous, available everywhere. It's highly delicious and highly loads of sustenance and protein. Um, and lots of tourists definitely live off of that dish. Um, but yeah, you can do it. I mean, I make the vegan recipes in the book, but you can add fish to that. You can add protein sure. to that. Yeah. So two, yeah, very quick, simple recipes that um, everybody can make. Red, red, it is. We're so excited, and it's gonna be amazing. Um, it's gonna be amazing. Share your journey. You know, we're so proud. I'm so proud of you, and I'll see you in New York, and we're gonna cook together in New York. Cool, cool. Take it easy. Bye. Thanks, Zoe. It was amazing to sit down and talk to you. Can't wait to do it in person. Please check us out at This Moment Podcast on Instagram, where we share one of Zoe's recipes. And next week, it's all about the turkey. It's all about the turkey and that base, right? Because it's the Thanksgiving episode. You got to tune in for that. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.